Good evening, Hoylake Evangelical Church. It is such a blessing to be able to be with you all again this evening and to jump into God's Word together. You see, what I'm looking so forward to this evening is that this is quite possibly the last video that I will be recording for you guys for devotionals. Now, the reason being is that I'm hoping to be with you guys next month in the month of August. I have applied for my visa this past Friday and I'm working to be able to be with you all again soon. So I rejoice knowing that our reunion is near. I'm so excited to be with each and every one of you again and to praise God and join together as the body of Christ worshiping the Lord. Today, I'm really excited to jump in a piece of scripture that has been an encouragement in my own spiritual growth as of recent. And I hope for your sake that you are able to experience some growth from it as well. You see, one of the aspects of the Christian walk that I've struggled with most is prayer. When I first became a believer, I struggled hard in learning how to pray and to also pray prayers specifically of intercession, praying prayers for other people for their sake. So how do I pray for my brothers and sisters inside of this church intimately, even if I may not know their immediate needs? Well, of course, when we have questions like this, our first instinct should always be to jump into the Bible, to see what the Bible has to say about this, to see exactly what God's word teaches us about this, and maybe where we can find an example of such an intercessory prayer. So tonight, we are going to look at a prayer that the Apostle Paul gives to a specific church, and we're going to look at his example and see how we can use his example to inform our own prayer lives, to, uh, to copy him as he copies Christ. So if you have your Bibles with you this evening, would you please meet me in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Again, that is Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. So while you're turning there to give you some quick background to the book of Colossians, Paul was writing the le this letter to the church in Colossae, which he had heard about. He had not, he, chances are that he had not specifically planted this church, but a follower of his who uh, had listened to Paul's teaching in Ephesus um, brought the gospel back to his hometown and spread, spread the word there in which the Colossian church was born. So the Christians in Colossae were specifically fighting against some false teaching in that time. So Paul wrote to the Colossians to encourage the church in their faith. Okay, now picking up in chapter 1, verse 9 through 14, the text reads like this. It says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So when we're looking at this passage, we see that Paul is praying to God about three specific things, three distinct things for the Colossian church. The first thing that he is praying for is that they are filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. For the Colossian church, which existed before the Bible had been fully written, they had to be careful with their discernment. They didn't have both the Old and New Testaments to consult to be able to see what their practice should be, what doctrines they should avoid, what 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 lifestyles they should completely just walk away from. Now they had to be more discerning. They had to, they were relying on the spirit for guidance inside of that because they didn't have the blessed resource of the Bible like we did. They only had the Old Testament. So Paul then prays that their faith is made strong, that they are able to have that discernment. What I love about Paul's prayer here, like here specifically praying for their discernment, for their faith, for their spiritual growth, is that this process is cyclical. It goes in a cycle. It starts and ends at the same exact place. You see, Paul starts praying that they, that they start growing in knowledge and understanding. And that that knowledge and understanding makes them walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then from there that they bear fruit in their good works, and then again, to finish it off, that they increase in their knowledge of God. There is no end to the spiritual growth that he is praying for. He's praying that they continually grow and become more and more like God. So in a world where there are so many different voices vying for people's attention, it can become really easy to be distracted and walk down a dangerous path. In the time of the Colossians, when the culture was encouraging a false view of Christ, this was true. How then is it more true for our culture, where we are so intimately connected to the rest of the world through the internet, where everyone has a voice, where everybody is trying to get our attention? We should be praying for our brothers and sisters here in this church and in other churches in the area and in the world that we are able to grow up with a God-honoring discernment. We should be praying for new believers that they are able to forsake their old ways and take root in Christ. Then pray for those who have been Christians for a while that they are able to... uh, that they are able to understand the gospel anew, not feeling old or out of style, and keeping that discernment strong and fresh. The second thing that Paul prays for is that the believers are strengthened with the power of God. Now, as we've established, the Colossian church was under pressure from the outside world to embrace a view of Christ that is opposed to the actual person of Christ. So Paul then prays that God will give them strength to endure this pressure. Not only does he pray for them to endure it, but that they may be patient and have joy throughout this process. Now, I know for a fact 
that we all in this church have experienced suffering in our lives. It is a reality that we have come to know and that we would be fools to admit that it is not present in our very midst, in this very body, in this, in this body of believers. We all know how, our, how hard it can be sometimes to not be cynical, to not become angry, and to not become apathetic to the world around us. So instead of falling into those negative emotions, when we fall into suffering, Paul prays that they are able to remain patient in these trials, and that they are also able to be joyful because they have the strength of God. We then in turn should be praying the same prayer for the people of God in this church and in other faithful gospel-believing churches. Let's pray for those who are suffering with sickness, poor health, or trauma, and a whole wide variety of other things that God is able to give them strength, that he's able to give them patience, and that he is able to give them joy through their trials. Pray that they may rely on God for peace, and when they seem to be surrounded by chaos, that they can find enjoyment in the most difficult of times, because they know that the Lord is with them. Pray that God will be with them and strengthen them through their trials. And then finally, Paul concludes his prayer thanking God for the salvation that has come upon the Colossian church. God has saved the people of the Colossian church from their own righteousness, their own unrighteousness, and brought them into God's own light. They are no longer under the domain of darkness that verse 13 says, Instead, they have been transferred into the kingdom of Christ, through whom they have been saved and redeemed. So when we pray, when we finish praying for other Christians, let us conclude our prayers like Paul did, thanking God that he has saved them out of the darkness and brought them into the light, that he has shown them the weight of their own sins, the consequences for their transgressions for their unrighteousness, for their wrongdoings, for their sin. And he has shown them the grace that Jesus Christ has extended to us. He has shown us that Christ has already taken that penalty. We should be praying to the Lord and thanking him for that redemption when praying for other Christians. So let's thank God for the work that he has done in the lives of the people in his body, in the church. And finally, let us also pray for those outside of the church. When we were praying, when we were praying prayers of intercession, for those, of, uh, for those around us that we were praying for, let us pray that if they do not already know the redemption of Christ, that they are soon able to comprehend and understand exactly what that redemption means, exactly what Christ has done for them, and that they are able to join together into the body of Christ and praise God all the day long. Church, let's pray together. 
Dear Lord, we thank you for giving us yet another opportunity to gather in your name and hear from your scriptures. I ask that tonight you will enrich our prayer lives and help us to pray intercessory prayers for those around us. Lord, we ask that you give us the knowledge to honor you and grow spiritually, becoming more like you with each passing day. Please also give us the strength to be joyful in the hardest of times, loving you and being joyful through the trials of this world. Finally, Lord, we thank you for the work of redemption that you have done in our lives, pulling us from sin and toward salvation. We will forever be grateful for your continual grace in our lives. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.